Hey, everybody, it's Tommy Canaligan. Welcome to Before the Lights podcast, the show to find out how those in sports, music, and entertainment made their mark. Joining me today is a former professional boxer known as Rapid Fire, a two-time world heavyweight champion. He was ranked in the top 10 in the heavyweight division from 1996 to 2003, a three-time national amateur champion who won the light middleweight and middleweight divisions, a professional record a 41-5-1 with 22 knockouts. He's had over 300 amateur fights and in 1991 was part of the U.S. national team. He became the first and only to score a tie versus the heralded Cuban team, one of the slickest heavyweights of all time. A 16-year pro career. Please welcome to the show, Chris Bird. Champ, how are you, my man? I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm doing well. I want to give a special shout out to Casey Lewis. He's the one that connected us. So Casey, my man, I appreciate it. Uh, Chris, youngest of eight from Flint, Michigan, a big family lineage in boxing. So you begin boxing at age five. Your father, Joe, was the one that trained you at the Joe Bird Boxing Academy. If you would talk to my listeners about growing up in a family full of boxers and starting at such a young age? Yeah, being, being the youngest. You know, I'm the youngest of eight. Five boys, three girls. The three girls know how to box. All five boys, we know how to box. I'm the youngest, so I watch everybody, all, all seven, you know, doing whatever sport or boxing especially. I, I had a view from the bottom. Did you have a few uh, sibling fights then as growing up with all your uh, older brothers and sisters? All the time. My older brothers and sisters would have me and my brother Patrick, who's a year and a half older than me, have us. They would bet. That's all we ever did was box our whole life. We always had sibling rivalries, but it was friendly all the time. Okay. You started competing at age 10. Your father trained and even managed you as a professional. You have a style from doing some research that you, you called the blender. And if, if you kind of would tell my listeners, what is the style of the blender? Well, I'll put you in a blender. I'll, I'll, I can spin you, <laughs> take you in a spin, make you miss, make you frustrate you to do all kinds of different things. So you know, my style in the heavyweight division, it wasn't popular, like with the media and, and TV, but with fans, I'm the little guy fighting the big guy of David versus Goliath every fight. And I won two heavyweight titles. So, you know, I made my mark and I'm coming back at 50, 50 years old and about to be a middleweight champion of the world. Love that. That's my true weight class, my true weight class while I fought in the Olympics. I didn't get signed after Olympics, so I had to go up to heavyweight. I love that you're coming back at 50. I'm in my 50s as well. So I love the fact that, you know, you're let's coming back. <laughs> let's get it. <laughs> uh, let's Before we go to your professional career, you had a huge amateur career. In 1992, winning silver in the middleweight division of the Olympics. How exciting and what was your what's your memories of being at the Olympics? Oh, uh, it's. It, it was the best. It was the dream for me since I was six years old. When I was six years old, I met Sugar Ray Leonard and he had his Olympic 1976, actually the Olympic year, six years old. He had his Olympic medal and, and sweatsuit on and he was in our hometown. So it was a dream 92 come and make the Olympics being in the Olympic village. 
it was just surreal. And then you got to compete. And that's when it gets real serious. I had to fight five times. I fought my way through, and I wasn't picked to win a medal. And I surprised everybody with the defensive uh, display in Barcelona and ended up with a silver medal. It was the best, probably the best moment of my life still. You talked about being excited to be at the Olympics, and then now you have to compete. How do you channel and get rid of all the excitement to focus in and going, I'm fighting for my country. I'm trying to win a medal. How do you turn all that? Ooh, it's, uh, it, it's so much going on in the Olympic Village before the game start. And then you have to just settle. I, for me, I would sit in my room. Just mm. sit in my room because there's so much going on outside and just stay calm and say, okay, this is Olympic. No playtime. No going out, doing, having fun. No, it's serious. And this is when it was time to fight. Like when we first got there, we had like a week and a half, two weeks. We did certain things. We walked around and and enjoyed ourselves. But when it came close to fight time, when you see the bracket, you have to weigh in, you go see your bracket and you're like, okay, now it's serious. I got to fight this guy, this guy, this guy, if I win this. So it's, it's on your mind. You stay focused and you, you think about the goal you set for yourself. And the goal for me was, I just wanted to win a medal. They, they had me not winning a medal. So I just wanted to win a medal. So that you great. did. You have a silver medal to your yes. name. <laughs> yes. Let's get it. You turned pro on January 28th, 1993. You had 10 knockouts in your first 13 fights. Before we go into, Chris, about you going up in weight, what I want to t- touch base on is how was it for you going back to Michigan and fighting in your home state as a pro? Uh, it was, I, I couldn't believe it because Four years, I fought at the national level, training, and then ending with the Olympics, and now I get to fight at home. It was a, a great feeling. It was it, it was really good just to just to fight at home and have my fans in my hometown see my skills. So it was it was a great feeling. But it was something that go with that. Also, I'll talk about later. <laughs> okay, you went to the heavyweight division after three fights in your pro career, you debuted. And for my listeners, I I want you guys to understand Chris debuted at 169 in his very first fight in his third fight. He's weighing 193 pounds. And in 1994, he's weighing in at 207. Chris, if you would, first off, explain why did you have to go up to heavyweight? Um, after the Olympics, great moment, win a silver medal. The expectations of me coming home, getting signed. My brother almost made the Olympics also. Okay. My father was an Olympic coach. He was the head coach of the Olympic team. So I'm, I'm boxing, you know, my whole life. I come home, very few phone calls, didn't get signed. Didn't get paid my first fight. Didn't get paid my second fight, depressed, stressed out, had a brand new baby, just got married, had nothing. I was cutting grass one day with my brother, Joe. He had a side lawn business. 
And and I was just thinking, I had my headphones on. I'm thinking, I'm like, what happened? I won a silver medal. Oscar De La Hoya was on my Olympic team. He wins a gold medal two fights before me. Comes in the locker room, I see a gold medal. I'm like, wow, our life is about to change. We both grew up poor. And now I'm back in the same situation. I'm like, what happened? So I said, forget it. If they don't want me at this weight, I'm going to heavyweight. It was my choice. I started borrowing money, buying the worst food you could buy, and trash, literally trash my body. I was a skinny kid. I was a skinny 165-pounder. Now I'm fighting that heavyweight. And then I had to make my way at heavyweight. You fought your first two fights for no money. Nothing. Wow. I got nothing for my medal. That is unbelievable. And you said you you just ate whatever you could get your hands on to get yourself to heavyweight. Yeah. Wow. Anything. Uh, the nine ice and hamburgers and cheap stuff. I mean, just cheap food, trash my body. I had to do what I had to do and didn't know if I was going to fight. I didn't know how I was going to fight. Put on weight. You just put on weight hoping somebody would sign you going, hey, we got a heavyweight now. We'll put him in the heavyweight division. Yes. And now, and as yeah. you said, you have a wife, a young child, and you're trying to support your family. So you're taking a risk of going, I'm pretty much just doing whatever to get money for my family in this career that I won a silver medal on and I'm trashing my body and I can't get people to take notice of who Chris Bird is. Yes. That's, that's it right there. Fighting at heavyweight division versus middleweight, your very first fight at heavyweight. I mean, what did that feel like? Is, I mean, we're talking a whole, we're talking 40 pound difference here. Unreal. Unreal. Matter of fact, I, I do a lot of podcasts. I do a lot of interviews, especially now. You're the only one that's asking me these kind of questions about my mindset at heavyweight. It was, it, it's like driving in the snow and your brakes is barely working. You're like, oh, your brakes is barely, you sliding everywhere. You don't know when that big one's going to land and it's over. And it became such a like um, cat and mouse game to me. Okay, it's survival. It's walking on a tightrope. You know, I made it a lot of times across. Sometimes I fail. Yeah. <laughs> I want to get into some of the, the the fights that you took, but I'm more uh, interested in this. We are talking about a complete lifestyle change here for you, and you're getting in the ring against some monsters that you really shouldn't be in the ring against. But what was the recovery like after these fights? I mean, folks, what I'm trying to get through is imagine yourself being 170 pounds and getting hit by somebody who's 240, 250, because that's basically what Chris did, although he's putting on weight, it's just weight to put on. He's really a 175-pound fighter taking punishment by guys who are naturally 220, 230. So what was like the next day like for you after fights? Look, like I said, I do a lot of podcasts. Nobody asked me that. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm resting especially like world title fights. When we got to that level, three months, that was, oh, I'm so broke up after the fight. I'm so sore, not in the face or, or the head, just my body. They, these big guys try to kill me. They hit me anywhere. Cause I'm constantly moving. I'm trying to get away, elude punches. 
And I'm busted up so bad afterwards. I'm so sore and broke up. Sometimes I'm peeing blood. I'm like, this is heavyweight. I never had this at middleweight. None of this stuff. But at heavyweight, oh my, oh, it was, it was harsh. When you stop Jimmy Thunder on HBO, they rush you to the hospital after the fight. What was, what was the reason they took you to the hospital, had to rush you to the hospital? I'm very sensitive to food, dairy, wheat, sugar. I mean, it's literally kryptonite. I'm, I was boxing with no energy. I mean, it, the food, putting on 50 pounds, really, it was really harsh. But in my mind is how bad do you want it? I want it that bad. I'm going to be heavyweight champion. I don't care. I don't care what I go through. So they rushed you due to food allergies. Then it wasn't injuries from the fight. Yep. Food allergy. It was really bad. And you have wins over Lionel Butler, Uriah Grant, Burt Cooper, who's, I remember Burt Cooper. He, you know, a strong dude right there. In 1999, you suffered your first defeat to Ike Iabuchi, who's for people that don't follow boxing, was a beast. I mean, a very strong power puncher that was naturally, I don't know what he weighed. I'm guessing 220, 230 in that range. But after that signing of that fight, when you get in the ring and you look across and see Ike Ayabuchi standing there, what's your, what are you thinking? Wow. <laughs> I, weigh two, I weigh 208 pounds, barely. He weighed 244, all muscle. I was 208 soft. And you look across the ring and you go, wow. But I always think, what do my parents think? My mother and father were my trainers, my mother and father. So they're looking across the ring, looking like, wow, my son, who's really a middleweight, he got to fight this monster that weighed 244 pounds. So in that, and then how the fight went, I know they really were like, oh, my goodness, look at this. It's like a, a pit bull or a three-legged cat. Mm-hmm. Has no chance. No chance. But I'm still dealing with them. All the big heavyweights, you know, I made my way through. I really thought Ike would have had a bigger career had he stayed, you know. I mean. Yeah, you'd have a great career. Big, strong power puncher. Back to you, champ. After that first defeat as heavyweight, did you second guess going, all right, do I go back to middleweight now that I got some fights underneath my belt? This is craziness. I'm in here. Or did you go, I'm all in. I'm going to become heavyweight champion of the world. That was literally the last thing I thought about what you said. Um, uh, I shouldn't be a heavyweight going back down. I was so excited afterwards. I wanted a rematch, but I knew he wasn't going to give me a rematch. And I thought, okay, now I got to really prove myself because because at that point, nobody wanted to fight me. It was hard getting Ike in the ring. And then I get caught. I'm like, ooh, now I could get some fights. They'll start fighting me now. And that wasn't the case. But, you know, I did get into some bigger fights later. Were you, at this point then, able to support your family with some paydays that you were getting? Yes, yes. It was getting better. Okay. I mean, I fought my way from a nightclub. I was in a nightclub. I fought my way from not getting paid my first two fights to a nightclub getting paid my first fight, 600 bucks to, to my last fight. I fought seven fights in a nightclub. I made a thousand dollars. That was the most I ever made. So 
and now I made $100,000 fighting Ike, and that was underpaid, fighting that monster, but I felt so amazing. I said, man, I could buy, I could support my family and buy me something now. Um, I'm out of poverty. Let's get it. One <laughs> life, man. One life. Let's get it. In 2000, you get your title shot after you were named a replacement for Razor Ruddick, and you go to Berlin, Germany, which is the home country. You have a week to prepare for the fight against undefeated Vitaly Klitschko. This was a five-star fight rating when it was over. Before we get to the fight, champ, I am assuming as a boxer, you're always staying in shape in case you get the call that we need somebody to fight, but you only have seven days do you remember the call when they're like, hey, do you want to fight Klitschko for the title? Oh, I remember everything. This is for a world title. You, you're fighting 27-0 with 27 knockouts, 6'8", 247 pounds. <laughs> How can you not remember that? 10 days notice. I had to go to Chicago. I lived in Flint, Michigan. I had to go get my passport real fast, go to Germany. Next thing you know, I, I'm looking up. I'm in the ring. I'm like, this is surreal. That's how fast time go by. I mean, we're by so fast. I look up, I'm in the ring. Now I'm fighting this giant. Oh. Did you have any any time to have any kind of strategy to prepare for him at all? I never seen him fight. Wow. I just I just heard about him. I heard about his brother, Vladimir Klitschko. He won a gold medal as super heavyweight in 96 Olympics. So I followed Olympics. I didn't know he had a brother. I didn't know his brother was taller and, big and better than him. Gosh, I'm like, this guy is good. You end up winning the heavyweight title from Vitaly Klitschko. He couldn't answer the bell after an injured shoulder and could not continue. Here's, here's my question on that. If you're 27-0 with 27 knockouts, and according to the reports, he was winning the fight on at least two, if not three of the cards, with three rounds to go, even if your shoulder's bummed out, do you not go, I have the heavyweight title. I'll find a way to get through three rounds with this guy and just keep him away from me? Man, you're the best. <laughs> you're the best. But you, you ask the best questions and answer them too because I fought him in April 1st of 2000 and not one person asked that or even thought about, well, He's the champ. Why did he just suck it up and fight through him? He's winning. He's so-called winning. That's what I thought. I, I would never quit. If you watch me fight his brother the first fight, he battered me. I didn't quit. 12 rounds. Right. Why would he? I, I wouldn't quit. I mean, I'm a quit. He quit. I have followed the sport, champ, and I've seen guys finish fights with broken jaws, broken hands, broken ribs. It's the sport of boxing. I mean, I okay, yes, the injury is legit. He did have a, a separated shoulder or whatever. Okay, I'll give you that. But you're the heavyweight champion of the world. You finish three rounds, you maintain your belt unless you get caught. You know, but hey, credit, credit to you. you. You're heavyweight champion of the world. You go from middleweight to heavyweight, and now you're champ. But I didn't feel like it. Everybody treated me like, well, he was winning. That's how they treated me. I fought 10 rounds, 10 rounds on USA Tuesday night fight. The first round, I got my nose smashed. And you can see it. 
Watch it on USA Tuesday Night Fights now if it's on YouTube. Uh, who did I fight? Oh, man, I, I'm thinking Lionel Butler, but it was Levi Billups. First round, boom, hit me, pushed my nose all the way over. The whole time, I'm undefeated. I'm thinking, man, if the if the doctor come over, he's going to stop the fight. Look at all this. Look at my nose. But I kept fighting, and I won a 10-round decision. And he quit with it. And I'm thinking, I'm a little small guy. Why would you quit with a shoulder? I have major shoulder injuries, so. But I get criticized for it. On this, champ, you fought his brother for the first tile defense. Did he not want a tile a rematch with you first? Wow, nobody bring this up. <laughs> oh, I got to fight his brother. I got to go over to Germany, fight his brother against all odds again. No, he didn't want a rematch. Never. So he said, all right, I'm not going to fight you, but Vladimir will fight you. Yeah, and if I beat him, I got to fight his father, maybe his mother, the dog, <laughs> everybody in the family. And as you said, you know, you took a beating in that fight against Vladimir Klitschko. Let me ask you this. How good was that jab he had? Oh, oh, my God. It's, it's for real. He has a, it, it's a pistol. It's like a bullet coming out of a, boom, boom, <laughs> for me. <laughs> my, this is my experience. It felt like a, a, he had a shotgun in his right hand, and he had pellets in his left hand just constantly hit me, hit me, and then the boom, the shotgun comes. How long did it take you to recover after that fight? Two and a half months. Wow. I remember that. Battered ass. Yeah, I mean, what all were your injuries? What injuries did you have? I mean, did you have bruised ribs, broken ribs, hands? My face, my eyes were closed. When I left Germany, the flight attendant that came over with us was the same flight attendant. Going back, she started crying when she seen me. My face was, I mean, I had glasses that were swelled. My ribs were... Oh, man, I was so sore. I didn't want to talk to nobody. I didn't want to even think about the fight. It was the worst. It's the worst time when you lose and you're battered afterward. But my brain was good. That's the the thing. I still had my senses. I wasn't slurring. I wasn't doing anything. Never had none of that. I was fortunate enough to, to get out of boxing with my brain intact. A lot of guys have gone way too long, which I'm, we're going to get to in a minute. Yes. You, you win the title again in 2002. You defeat Evander Holyfield. You win the IBF title and you had four successful defenses. What I find pretty remarkable about this victory is you beat what I would call one of the smartest fighters in the division at that time. Holyfield is a magician in the ring. He knows how to cut you off and to almost bait you to where he wants to get you to, like he did to Tyson. He he baited Tyson right where he wanted him. And and Holyfield yeah. is a smart fighter. So I think that's what that's probably more remarkable to me the way that you took down Holyfield. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, I look at myself, honestly, as the smartest guy in boxing. This if you get in front of me, we got it's a ta- a tactical match. I gotta figure you out. And you're not gonna figure me out. That's how I feel. So when I get when I got in front of Evander, very smart, Hall of Famer, and he's one of the the, the three guys that I wanted to fight: Mike Tyson, Lennox Lewis, Evander Holyfield. When I first came to heavyweight division, 
and I'm in the ring with the great Evander. He's very smart, like you said. He's very smart, intelligent. Throughout that fight, when did you start feeling that I'm in control of this? After the, literally after the third round. Really? The first round, the first round, I, it was, okay, it was, it was me being friends with Evander Holyfield. <laughs> I'm like, I thought we were friends. And then I get into a groove, the second round a little bit, then third round was literally the same, but then I started feeling so comfortable by the fourth round. I can, I felt like I could do almost anything. It just, the it just those styles. He's a, a guy that loves pressure. He won a guy that comes to him and fight. I'm not that type of guy. I'm not going to come to you and bang, not these big heavyweights. So I, I stay back, make you miss, make you think a lot in the ring, make you think about every punch you throw because you may get counted. Because I'm a thinking guy in the ring. So with Evander, I got to think a lot, a lot of tricks going back and forth, a mental battle, but I, I, I pulled out the victory. Two-time heavyweight champion now. And then you have a draw with Andrew Galata, which Galata at that time was just nasty, mean, and low-blow machine. Yes. <laughs> and then you have a rematch with Klitschko again. You know, cut you up over your eyes, put you down a couple times. In that fight, it's, to me as an outsider, and I went back and watched some of it, He's just too big, too strong, no matter what you threw at him. Like you said, he was a super heavyweight in the Olympics. And here you are trying to fight him and give him everything he has. But his just overall strength was just, I think, too much. Yeah, he was just the way I was fighting and the way uh, just how I approached the fight. I had a great training camp, though. My training camp was on point. I was ready for him. They get in the ring. Something else happens. And you really figure out how big and how strong this man really is compared to a 210, 12-pound heavyweight. So, And he really uses size as an advantage, where a lot of heavyweights don't do it. They don't use their size you know, as an advantage. He did, and he's very smart, and he got the victory. One of the best ever. You have another five-star fight against David Tua. Yeah. That fight, does it? Do you just like peel back the curtains and go, all right, let's go, man versus man? Yeah, yeah, it was. I had to redeem myself from the Ike Abayabuchi fight, honestly, because after Ike, a lot of people wrote me off, and then I fight Klitschko, I win, then I fight Klitschko, lose, and now it's David to another five star fight, like you said, and this is the fight where if if I don't win, I failed as a heavyweight. To me, I failed because now I'm going backward and backward and backward. I'll never be heavyweight champion. Just like David Tua. He never was a heavyweight champion. And in that fight, I had to put on a performance, avoid the big shots because he's good. He's a knockout artist and put on a performance, which I did. And I was thankful I got the victory. So thankful. Let's get it. I won, I won the title from that. Uh, let's get it. You had to drop 40 pounds and you went, you attempted to go down to light heavyweight division. How much did that do to you from a strength and stamina standpoint to drop 40 pounds like that? It was, it was horrific. It was the way I did it. 
not doing any research. It was it was just bad. I did. I was eating still bad, running 15, 16 miles a day, just doing things wrong. And I paid for it. 2010, you retire and then you come up with some severe health challenges. You have chronic pain due to fighting above your natural weight, 11 years of suffering, a left leg pain, shoulders, hips. You battled PTSD, prescription drug problems. Champ, what was the lowest point for you where you were like, okay, I'm, I can't get any lower on that. Hmm, man, how many moments? Um, probably. Uh, and it's hard. I'm, I'm always happy, always ready. Let's get it. But when I talk about this, boxing is nothing. That's nothing. When who chronic pain came out in 2009, I, the lowest moment, wow, so many low moments. But when I said to myself, I'm coming back to boxing, that was, I was in all kind of pain. And, and to say that, I had no hope at that time. I mean, nobody helped me. I mean, it's nothing. Everybody gave up. All the doctors, every, I've been everywhere. So at that time, for me to say that, I really want it. It's how bad do you want it? I'm getting out of pain. Forget this. I'm not living the rest of my life like this. Forget this. I'm getting out of pain. So I started doing tons of research, getting getting my life back, getting back to my weight, getting back healthy. I still was eating like a heavyweight. Eating, but I, I weighed probably like uh, 190, 195, but I was soft, out of shape. You know, I'm in decent, decent shape. I run here and there, train, but just, I was just in a lot of pain. I mean, I was doing, I was in pain, running, doing all this stuff, doing everything until my hips and my shoulders went out. And got, I got to make a change. That, that's what it was. When I looked at some of the stuff that you went through, and for me to sit here and talk to you, for me is, it's uh, amazing. And I'm happy that you're here. But I read, uh, is this, was there a time that you were seriously considering just removing your left foot? Look, I wanted to cut my left foot off. And then I wanted to cut it off at the leg, at the hip. Because it was so much pain. And they told me phantom pain. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to have my foot here. And then I'm still in pain. Crazy. I just didn't, I mean, when you have nerve damage, neuropathy at the high level. Oh, my God. It's, I mean, it's chronic pain. When you have chronic pain like that all day. 24 hours a day, you wake up pain. You go to the bed pain. It's with you everywhere you go. So you're like, I can't get rid of it. And it's flaring up. And, and then everything else goes out. So it, it, was, it was just a bad time. What finally helped you, Champ, alleviate the pain? The first thing I did was uh, I, I changed my diet. I noticed some changes big time. 
Like, wow. Just with my mind, because I had like the PTSD, I had just just trauma and and anxiety bad anywhere I go. And then I started seeing stuff really alleviate. And then I met a cannabis expert. Her name is Tammy Thomas. And with the cannabis, changed my life. Literally, it changed my life. Like, I got my life back. I first um, uh, was introduced to cannabis with Shannon Briggs, the, mm. the former heavyweight champion. I was in Florida, and he's seen how much pain I was in. And he was helping me out just – I was help training him. I, I He didn't need a trainer, but he knew I needed to be out of the house and do something because I was going crazy. And he first introduced me to cannabis. And, you know, we knew he knew a lot more than I would ever know, but he didn't know that much. So then I met Tammy Thomas after that. What a coincidence. I meet a a cannabis expert and hit me to the the real truth on the oil and the truth behind the cannabis and how it works as a medicine and start healing up healing up. And to this day, I'm with that cannabis expert, Tammy Thomas. She's helping me with on the greatest comeback ever, ever. The greatest comeback ever. I came back from the dead, man. I was dead, man. I was a dead man. Barely walking, barely thinking, going crazy. Now I'm back. Let's get it. When we talked about life after boxing, And you said you left with your mind, which is great because a lot of guys don't. There's guys now, big names, who are a wreck. I mean, they're off out of public sight because they just stayed in it too long. When did you know that it was time for you to get out with your mind? I never wanted to get out. Okay. I grew grew up in boxes, so I, I was basically forced out. My last fight was in Germany. I went to spar with Vitaly Klitschko. And when I went there, I weighed 191 pounds. And this was right after I fought at light heavyweight. So, and he called me and, and we were thinking, okay, you know, I talked to everybody in my group, parents, wife, everybody that know me in boxing and okay, we'll go spar and just to see how you look. If you still want to fight. And I still, oh my goodness, I put in work. I, I look great during camp. And I fought my last fight there. But then everybody afterwards, like, well, I think you should retire. Huh. I should, I, everybody. And then no promoters, no managers, nobody wanted to help me. They were like, I was like, I'm done, man. I just, but honestly, it, it was, I, I came down in pain after that. And going through the pain, I can cry about the pain. I mean, it was a tough time, but it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because now I get this moment at my original weight class. I figured out the nutrition. I figured out everything I need to do at 50 to be the best in the world. And I will be the best in the world. Watch. I will be world champion. Tell me who Aaron Cameron, the director of Club Q360, is to you. Aaron, what he is to me? Yeah. He'll be, Aaron will be with me. He's everything. He, so, oh man, going to uh, Quantum 360, meeting Aaron and, 
and his wife, it, it changed everything for me. At first, I was at the Amen Clinic. I, I got to give a shout out to Dr. Amen because they helped me out also first. But when I went to the Quantum 360 in, in Malibu with Aaron Cameron, I got I to say his whole name because he's the man. When I went there and, and what he knowing and knowledge and the treatments they gave me, oh, my goodness. It changed so much of my pain in my body so much it got me so ex- more excited about boxing i was thinking man i'm gonna come back and this is unreal i'm gonna wait until i'm 50 to make an announcement to come back i'll wait until i was 50 because that's how good i feel and i know i'm be champion so aaron is the man to me right now he'll be traveling with me he'll be my guy and everybody will know that he can heal bodies through sound and frequency and vibration, and it's real. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to your Instagram and YouTube channel. Uh, listeners, you got to take a look at his Instagram. When he's telling you he's training to become a middleweight champion at age 50, he's not joking. This man is running not, not bit bunny hills. This man is running major hills. And not just one, several times a day. We're going to get into his diet here in a little bit. But outside of the of the change in your diet, talk about what you're doing to get yourself. I mean, you're probably in the better shape now than you ever have been. Ever, ever in my life. I was in the Olympics and won two world heavyweight titles. And what do you do every day? Are you running, running hills? What are you doing? I had to literally take off. Literally two days, like, Chris, don't do nothing because I do stuff. Anything I think in my mind because I have so much energy. And in my first career, I didn't have this kind of energy. Whatever I think about in training, I got to do it. If I see a hill while we're driving, I got to run it. I'm like, oh, my. And I'm, and I'm in Southern California, so it's hills everywhere. I look at trails. I got to run that. I got to run. I got to. In my mind, I got to be the best. I'm 50 years old. I felt I was the best heavyweight when I was fighting. Nobody wanted to fight me. Everybody, you know, did certain things. So um, to try to beat me or or when they beat me, it was like, oh, wow, I can't believe you got beat. So now at middleweight, the same effect. But this time, I've learned a lot of stuff. I know energy. I know I really already know how to fight. So I'm approved that I can win three world titles in my 50. I will prove it. Have you ever, and maybe you are, thought about giving back and training young kids? I'm doing that now. Okay. While as kids in Temecula, California at the Wildlife Gym, these kids, I'm helping the coach there. He has he has his gym, he has full of coaches, I mean, full of kids. And I'm just helping out, just being an assistant. It's great. How is it these days compared to where you were at before being a family man? Totally different. Totally different. I don't have to go pick up my kids from school. Everybody's grown. I don't have to do worry about, okay, this is, this is dad got to win. You know, man, I got to win every fight. I got to pay these bills. I got, no, I can really sit back and just look at boxing and have no stress, no problems, no anything. Don't worry about nothing. I'm 50 years old. 
I've seen every almost everything you want to see in boxing. I just want to enjoy myself and inspire people to do better, get to the highest level. But at the same time, with their story, I want to be inspired. I want to be inspired. Let's get to the highest level. We got one life. I'm 50 years old. In 50 more years, I'll be 100. Think about that. And it that fast. So what did I do in, it, in these 50 or 100 years? I lived the most extraordinary life ever. Live it out. People, live it out. Your one life. Live it out. When are you looking at returning back to the ring? End of May. Right now, we're looking at the end of May for sure. Something big is going to be lit. Everybody know about it. Let's get it. Look at the gray beard. When you watch <laughs> TV, you see this gray beard, you're going to be like, what? But you're going to see the most fascinating, the most, I mean, the highest level talent boxer you will ever see. Why? At 50, the old man is back. They call me the trickster. I am I'm, I'm put all the tricks. I do all my tricks. It's back. Come watch the show. I'll be the biggest in boxing. Watch. Yo, the show. Watch the show. I'm excited to see you back in action and get you inside the ropes again. I'm looking forward to it. Let's get it. Champ, thanks for spending some time with me on the show today. Going through some highs and lows and back to some highs again. And enlightening my listeners. I appreciate your time. Yes. Oh, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate your knowledge, your knowledge behind what you're saying. This is some good stuff, man. You're a good interviewer. I got to give you credit for that. And that's the first time I heard those questions in, in my life like that. Mm, that's good stuff. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Listeners, please subscribe to the show. You can find it anywhere podcasts are found. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, please subscribe to the show. Follow me on Instagram at Before the Lights Podcast. For show notes, go to the website, beforethelightspod.com and click on the episode link and you'll get show notes to everything we talked about with the champ. Thank you for listening to Before the Lights. I'm Tommy Canale. And until next time, everybody, I salute a chin chin. <laughs>